And today we're going to study this uh, wonderful chapter, and then we're going to have communion together. But in Deuteronomy 31, we see Moses uh, doing a few things. Uh, uh, one of the things that we've seen over and over again in Deuteronomy is Moses is repeating things. He's repeating the law, and he's repeating the responsibility that we have, the simple responsibility that we have as God followers, and that is to be obedient. Uh, one of the other things we'll see today is here he's going to begin to inaugurate his successor. He's going to pass the baton uh, to a young man by the name of Joshua. And we're going to learn and we're going to glean even from his life as we study together. But look what we read in verse 1. It says, Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. Wow. I can no longer go out and come in and play football. No, I'm just joking. Um, um, we're going to see that he could. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. Now, again, uh, looking at this book right here, we see the Lord is teaching us what to do as we uh, enter into the promised land, not only to access the land, but to enjoy the land, to have longevity, longevity, how do you say it, longevity, in the land that God has for us. And so Moses is giving these words, and right here we see him, he's at death's door. We know he's about to die because he dies at the age of 120 years. Um, he wouldn't be the one, we see, to lead the people into the promised land, but he comforts the people and that it would be okay. Why? Because the Lord God himself, he says there in verse 3, would cross over before them. He would be the one to help them conquer the nations and carry them in. You know, Moses was a great leader, and so perhaps when you know he informed them of the fact that he was going to die, um, perhaps there would be some that would immediately think, oh no, what are we going to do without Moses? But um, as I read in one of the commentaries, um, it doesn't matter who the person is. Uh, in one sense, um, we're all uh, dispensables you know, to a certain extent. You know, God doesn't need a man. God doesn't need that man. Because God himself is the one that would carry them in. God himself is the one that would conquer. And so he wants them to know that. It's kind of interesting, though. He also shares the fact that God would use Joshua. We read that there in the text that we have before us um, because that's the way that God has chosen to work. He usually does use vessels, and we need to pray for them. We thank God for them. But ultimately and very, very deeply, we need to know and cling to the fact that it is God and not man. It is God who is doing the work, and even the best of men are men at best, right? Just men. And there's an infinite difference. Remember that. There's an infinite difference, an infinite difference between God and that individual that you're putting on a pedestal. Be very, very careful with that, or God might deal with you, because only God is God, right? You know, Moses was a great leader, and reading this, 
even right here in verse 2, I can no longer go out and come in. You, know, you might think that physically he just wasn't able to lead anymore, right? But it wasn't a matter of the physical aspects. As a matter of fact, we read later in Deuteronomy 34, verse 7, that it says Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. Think about that. For some of you here that are like 30 years old, <laughs> and you're like, man, my eyes are going bad, I, you know, or you're, you know, you're getting tired, you're physically, you know, changing. And, and for Moses, that wasn't the issue. He still had his great eyesight, his natural vigor, the Bible says, didn't even diminish. It wasn't a physical issue. That wasn't what was preventing him to go in and to lead the people into the promised land. It wasn't a physical issue. It was a spiritual failure on his part. It was one day, it was one day when he let his guard down, way down, right? And he failed big time. And for that reason, he was not allowed to enter into the promised land. You remember back in Numbers chapter 20? Let's go in there real quick. Numbers chapter 20. In verse 7. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes. So what does he tell them to do? Speak to the rock, right? And it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. And so Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron, notice, gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and he said, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. Interesting. The children of Israel, they contended with the Lord, Moses, as a leader, you know, he's been very patient up to this point. You know, whenever they would blow it, what would Moses usually do? He would usually fall down on his face and pray for them. It was very, very commendable. Even one time he prayed, Lord, it's okay. I tell you what, you know, blot my name out of the book of life. I mean, Moses really was an incredible leader. But but one day, this man who had been given so much, he would go into the presence of the Lord and his face would shine um, one day this man uh, misrepresented God. And as a result of that, God sentenced him. And he said, you're not going in. You're, you're not going to lead the people into the promised land. Now, I don't know if you can hear God's voice the way Moses can. Um, maybe you've blown it and you think, oh, God's telling me I'm not going to go in. You know, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in your life. But I know this. I wouldn't play games with God. I wouldn't. Who knows? Maybe God will show you grace. Maybe you haven't transgressed and crossed that line. Maybe you have. Maybe you will. I don't know. All I know is this. Don't mess around. Especially if you're a leader. You know, especially if you've been given much. Because 
to whom much is given, much more is required. That's why for Moses it was so costly because even though the children of Israel were the way they were, they didn't see the things that Moses saw. They didn't hear the voice that Moses heard. Moses was very accountable as a leader. And that's why for us as leaders, we have to be very careful that we don't misrepresent God, that we remember how holy he is, that we don't strike the rock, and we don't you know, mess up God's typologies. That's what Moses did in the long run. And back in Deuteronomy 31, let me ask you a question, man. Do you think Moses had any regrets that one day? That one day. I know you don't want to have regrets. I know you don't. That's why you can't let your guard down, you guys. You can't. You can't think, oh, you know, God, I'll be all right. You know, God is good and God is gracious. Don't mess around. Don't mess around. Moses here, think about it, man. He couldn't lead him into the promised land. He says, God will go, though, so don't worry. Joshua's going to go. And we'll talk more about Joshua as we go on in our study today. But in verse 4 of Deuteronomy 31, it says, And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Now, the interesting thing, and, you know, just going through Deuteronomy, I noticed this, man. Moses always talks about this guy, Og, this king, Sihon. He just brings him up over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, ten times in the book of Deuteronomy, you'll read about these guys And basically what he does and the reason he does that is because he brings them up because he basically essentially says, look at what God has already done. And that was supposed to be a faith builder. That was supposed to be something that would encourage them to go forward. If God has been faithful up to this point, what makes you think he's going to let you down now? He's not. He, you know, beat up uh, Og and Sihon, and you guys knew it was supernatural. These were huge guys. You've already inherited two and a half, you know, tribes, you know, um, of the land on this side of the Jordan. And in one sense, it was God's way of saying, let that be a springboard for the rest of your life. And it will always be that way, you guys. Look at what God has done. A lot of times the reason we're not going forward is because we're not open. We're not opening our eyes to see, to seriously see what God has already done. I mean, he's already done amazing things. He parted the Red Sea. He rose from the dead. And look at what he's done in your life. He brought you this far. You know, the other day I was singing, you guys, and it was kind of cool. I was singing. I was worshiping the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I love to do that, you know, even though I don't have the greatest voice in the world I love to worship the Lord, don't you? I mean, you gotta, I, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. It even feels good. I mean, I don't know why. I think part of it is because we're created to do that. You know, we're created to sing to God. But as I was singing to the Lord and I was really enjoying it, and I was really getting into it, you know, um, this thought came into my mind. It said, "Why are you singing? Why are you even singing?" And then it was kind of cool because the Lord just spoke to me, and or I don't know if I responded. I said, Lord, because I'm saved. 
Because I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm free. I have a relationship with God. That's why I sing. And it was so cool, man. And, and I, I just think about that in my life. And, you know, look at what he's already done. And I look even in the ministry. I look at my family. I look at some of the things that God has done. And it really encouraged me, encourages me, you know, to go forward, you guys. And that's what he's saying with Og and Sihon. Man, he will give you and grant you the promised land. Moses said, look at what he's already done. He will. He is willing. So you must, you must be willing as well. And so he says there in verse 6, and be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Now this right here would be addressed to the people as a whole. But then in verse 7, Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. It's kind of cool. In verse 6, he says it to everybody, so to speak. And then in verse 7, and we read that repeated, he says it specifically to Joshua. And I guess in one sense, I'd like to say this, that, you know, we have this general promise, you know, this general challenge, be strong and of good courage. The Lord will go with you. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. But then you must, you must make it personal. It's for you. It's for you. You know, and maybe your name's not Joshua, and maybe you're not going to lead, you know, I don't know, three million people into the promised land. But there is something that God is calling you to do in life. And whatever it is, the only way you're ever going to make it, as a father, as a husband, as a, as a leader, as a minister, as a servant, whatever the role and responsibility that you, you have, and we all have something, the only way we're going to be able to make it is if we take heed to these words right here where he says, be strong. It's a choice and of good courage. Don't fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, but Lord, will they go with me? How about them, Lord? Will they stick with me? I don't know. I don't know if that person will or that person will. I wonder sometimes. I'm sure you do too. But one thing I know, God will. God will always be with me. God will always go with me. I must keep my eyes on him. And that's what he tells the congregation. And that's what he tells, you know, Joshua. And that's what he tells you tonight. You know, I know you guys probably know this, but verse 6 is the verse. The verse, I mean talking the verse that God used in my life to bring me to Almani. This is like one of the fundamental foundational verses that God used in my life to allow me to take that step of faith 
that um, I needed to take. It was his word. It was this promise that gave me fuel, that, that that's motivated me, that moved me to follow him. And whatever those steps of faith are in your life, this is a promise, I think, that we need to hold on to, you know? You know, if you look at this right here, you'll notice that strength and courage are a choice, you know, that fears must fade. And by simple faith in the faithful, one will be able to go forward. I'm sure you've heard, how many of you saw Facing the Giants, you know? They said that the most common command in the Bible is what? Do not be afraid, right? You know, and if you think about it, why should you be afraid when God promises to permanently be with you? (laughs) Interesting thing. John Corson said this, fear is to the devil what faith is to the Lord. That is, Satan responds to, takes advantage of, and delights in fear the same way our Lord responds to, works through, and delights in faith. And just as important as faith is, and I know you guys know that's the key, huh? That's the key. That's what Christ is looking for. Is there faith? Do they really believe my word, my promises, and me? Are they walking by faith and not by sight? Are they walking by convictions and not emotions? Is there faith? We know how important faith is to God. That's how important fear is, so to speak, to the devil. And those fears, they they paralyze us. And that's why this right here is so important, you guys. You don't have to be afraid, whatever it is. And, you know, we have different fears no matter where you're at. You know, you may think that you've got it all together. And, you know, some of you here I know are doing pretty good, man. But I know my life, there's always these arrows that come my way. Well, what if that happens or what if that happens? And and you know what? You you kind of got to come to that point. Where you know you're 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 okay, no matter what. You know if you hear the the news that you've got this terminal disease, you're okay with that, because God's still with you, or whatever it is that you get stripped away of. You lose your job, you lose your house. You're okay with that, because you still have God, and whatever it is, you know. Well, I lost this ministry. Well, it's okay. You'll always have a ministry. If you follow the Lord and you can go by every single fear that you might face in life. But what if they don't like me anymore? It's okay. God loves you, man. You don't have to fear. Why? Because God said he would always be with you. You know, in looking at this, I think it's important for us to have this understanding in our heart, you guys, to be strong. Okay, and I know I've shared this with you guys before. Like, to be strong in the world, you know, you got to work out. you got to lift weights, right? How long has it been since you worked out, you know? And we just, man, I, I used to bench 220, man, no problem. Now I could probably bench, you know, 20, I think, at the most. And it's crazy, you know? You know what you need to do to be strong. And, you, you know, it's not going to just happen with some magic pill or something. You can't choose to be physically strong. But you can choose to be spiritually strong. It's a choice. It's an act of obedience. It's when you allow the Lord to be your strength. And we're going to see this as we go through our study today. It continues on there in verse 9. It says, So Moses wrote this law 
and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. You know, there in verse 9, notice again, it says, So Moses wrote this law. It's kind of funny. Some scholars or so-called scholars, they often debate as to who wrote the book of Deuteronomy. Um, If they would just read it, (laughs) they would know that Moses wrote it, right? It says that there in verse 9. And he obviously wrote it with a reason. He wrote it so that they would obey it. Uh, One of the things that's kind of interesting is he talks about giving numerous copies, right, to the priests, the sons of Levi, and even to the elders there of Israel. And so there was probably a number of copies that they wrote together. And and as he gives them the word of God, he wants them to read it uh, publicly. Uh, We read right here that he wants them to read it every seven years in the year of release. We read that in verse 10 at the Feast of Tabernacles. Because this would be a fresh and formal reminder to those who have already heard. And it would be vital to those maybe who have never heard. You know, even one of the things I've learned, even in teaching the Bible, is that there are some people here who have never heard some of these things. Now, some of you here have heard them many times, but some have never heard. And so it's kind of cool. You're always kind of cognizant of that as you're teaching and we read in verse 11 that this would be for all Israel. They, a couple of things that God wanted all Israel to come away with. Number one, uh, look at verse 12. It says that they may learn to what? To fear the Lord your God. Right? That was one thing. To have a healthy fear of God. And I'm just of the personal opinion, man, that that's not just a reverence. You know, I hear people say that over and over again, and I think that they're missing part of the point. Part of the point of fearing the Lord is understanding that he is holy. He is holy, and he will discipline his children. It's supposed to bring a little bit of fear into your heart. It's supposed to be a secondary motivation of the second thing right here that they were to do, to learn to fear the Lord your God, and verse 12, carefully observe all the words of this law. I mean, one of the things that's cool, man, and the Lord is the one that's able to give it to you, is that I think that when you really love the Lord and when you really have a healthy relationship with God, that you do fear God, but you do love God. And you know his hand of discipline, but you know his heart of love. And you can't throw either one out. And for us as God followers, the things that's so simple are the things that I think we miss out on the most, the things that we neglect the most. We don't the reason why a lot of the churches, the way that 
she is is because they do not fear God. There's no fear of God in their eyes. And they don't understand the basics of what being a Christian really is. It's about being obedient. It really is. What right do you have to call your own shots? None of us do. None of us do. And so he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get all Israel together every seven years. Just read the law. You know, make it a, a public thing. Make it a, a final formal thing. For some people, it'll be they heard it before and it'll be fresh reminders. Others, it will be new and fresh. And just really being a people of the word of God, right? And so that's what he shares with them, you know. And to be honest with you, in looking at this right here, it reminds me so much of the Great Commission. Uh, a couple of things about it. You know, because if you remember, right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave them the Great Commission. And this is what he said towards the latter portion of it. He says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. You know, to me, that's the same two things, teaching them to be obedient people and reminding them, and I want you to know that I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Kind of the same thing we're seeing here. It's amazing, man. Important. God loves his people. He wants to bless them. And so what does he do? We see next in verse 14, Then the, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. What would you do if God told you that? Would you freak out? Anyways, Moses was kind of cool about this whole thing. He just says, Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. Moses here is going to pass the baton, huh? Uh, They would need a new leader. And you know, um, the bottom line is, you guys, You know, like I said earlier, God is the one who does the work. Um, God is the one who leads the church. He's the head. We're his bride. We belong to him. But he uses human leaders. Uh, We don't exalt them, but we recognize the fact that God is a God of order. And that's the way he leads his church. He leads his church through people. And so Moses is dying. And so who would they, you know, see as that individual? And now God says, the one that I want you to to pick and remember we as as leaders we don't pick who we want we pick who God wants God told him I, I want Joshua to be the one and and God chooses Joshua you know and as I was reading this I thought well we can probably just pass by this but um you know I was thinking well, why did the Lord choose Joshua and you know in looking at his life there's a few things that I think are important and so let's look at a couple of things some possible or probable reasons from man's perspective why God chose Joshua. And the first one, if you would, go over to Exodus chapter 17. God is sovereign, right? But we are 
you know, free. We are responsible. And if you want to be used by the Lord, there's certain things, I think, to take to heart, man. I hope that you want to be used by the Lord. And I hope that you would take certain things to heart. You know, one of the things we see about Joshua, number one, was that Joshua was submissive. Look what it says in verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses said to him. Joshua did as Moses said to him. Now, uh, if you guys remember the story right here, we don't have time to develop the whole thing. But basically, uh, Moses said to Joshua, I want you to go down there and I want you to get right in the middle of the war. I want you to lead the war. And I'm going to go up on this hill and pray. (laughs) Now, at first glance, it's kind of a, a funny thing. You're like, man, um, Moses, uh, you're asking me to kind of put my, my life in danger, you know, and you're going to go up there and, and pray. And so, you know, you might wonder about that command. But Joshua didn't wonder, at least it didn't appear to be that way. He just, the Bible says, did as Moses commanded him. You know, and one of the things I see in just being used in the ministry and being called to areas of responsibility is that you must have a heart of submission. If you don't, you know, you're going to fall short of the calling that God might want to do in your life. You know, when we read the story of Moses, when others went bad, they were jealous or they wanted to build their own kingdom. People like Miriam or even Aaron, uh, Korah, and so many others that rebelled with Korah Uh, They went wrong. They went bad. But Joshua stayed true. Joshua stayed true to Moses. As a matter of fact, in Numbers chapter 11, verse 28, he's described as Moses' assistant, one of his choice men. And so one area that I encourage you to, to follow in is to be an individual with not just uh, actions, but an attitude of submission. God would test Joshua. Secondly, Joshua hung out at the tabernacle. And we see that if you want to go over to Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. Exodus 33, look at it says in verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. I thought that was interesting. I think it shows a couple of things. Number one, a heart of intimacy. Heart of intimacy. There he would be, and and he would just stay there. And when I read that, I remember the first time I read that, I was like, wow, this guy Joshua, this guy Joshua, this guy Joshua is different. He stays there at the tabernacle. I think one is a heart of, of intimacy with God, the tabernacle. And I, and I think at the same time, another is a heart of ministry. You can see it when someone has a heart for, for ministry. And a lot of it, believe it or not, is just the practical elements of they're going to be there. They're going to kind of be there. And sometimes you kind of want to kick them out, but you can't kick them out because they're just going to, they're kind of there all the time. And, And that's where Joshua was. Number one, he was a a man of of submission. Number two, he hung out at the tabernacle a lot. Uh, Number three, Joshua had faith when most others didn't. 
You don't have to turn there, but Numbers chapter 14, verse 6 through 9. Remember when the spies went into the land and, and you know, they came back. Ten spies gave a bad report. But we read in verse 6, But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh were among those who had spied out the land. They tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You see, Joshua was a man of submission. He hung out at the tabernacle, showing his intimacy and desire for ministry. And he had faith when most others didn't. And this is huge right here. This is when the rest of the church, the rest of the church, sees only the logic or the illogic of it. And they don't see with eyes of faith. You know, there were giants in the land. There were grasshoppers in their sight. You know, nothing seemed to add up from a human perspective. But because Joshua was hanging out at the tabernacle, man, because he was hanging out even with Moses, I think, he had eyes of faith. And it's important, you guys, that we have that. One guy said this, Faith does not wish, hope, or desire. Faith receives. Corey Ten Boom said, Faith is a strong power, mastering any difficulty in the strength of the Lord who made heaven and earth. See, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Faith says, I cannot believe that he who has brought me so far is going to let me down at this point. It's impossible. It would be inconsistent with the character of God one guy said never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light or never put a question mark where God has put a period see for us you guys faith and like I was sharing earlier faith is so important and a lot of times we just don't believe anymore we're doing the math and we're doing the logic and you know we're looking at ourselves rather than looking at God rather than seeing The God who made heaven and earth is with you. And we need that faith. You know, we need strong faith. D.L. Moody said this, there are three kinds of faith. Number one is struggling faith. Struggling faith. And that's like a man in deep water. He's desperately swimming. He's doing the dog paddle, man. He's out there in the water. Number two, there's clinging faith. And that's like a man hanging to the side of a boat. But then number three, there's resting faith. And this is the man safely within the boat, then able to reach out and to help others come in. Some people have struggling faith. Some have clinging faith. What God wants us to bring bring us to is a resting faith. You're in the boat. He's with you. God, help us to believe in him so that we can help others. You see, that's who Joshua was. He was a man of faith when most others weren't. Another thing about Joshua was he was spirit-led and empowered. Numbers 27, 18, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. And so, you know, you got to make sure, you guys, and I really encourage you to just look in your heart, to look in your life. You know, are you going through life just naturally or is it truly the Spirit of God 
If it's the Lord, if it's the Spirit of God, then there's not the disobedience and there's not the doubt. Those are two things that will quench the Spirit, that will hinder him. See? Another thing we see about Joshua is that he wholly followed the Lord. Numbers 32:12. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. A lot of times, man, and I'll be honest with you, I find myself struggling with that, but then I, the Lord just reminds me, Manny, don't you know, hold on to anything in your life. You've got to surrender everything to me, everything. I own everything in your life. You've got to wholly, wholly follow me. And, and it's for that reason, I think, that God chose Joshua. He really was an awesome young man. And doubtly there were other elements in Joshua, But one last point that I want to share with you guys is uh, theologians like to point out the theology of typology. Okay, let me just share this with you real quick. Moses didn't go in. Joshua went in, right? What does Moses represent? The law, right? Moses represents the law. Understand this. The law will never enter the promised land. The law will not save you. And the law will not sanctify you. You see, there's a contrast between law and grace. Grace saves us. There's a contrast between law and spirit. Because it's the spirit that sanctifies us. Moses is a law. He'll never take you in. If you try to go into the promised land on your own strength, on your own rules and regulations, you're not going to make it in. You will be the most frustrated person in the world. You must allow the Spirit of God to take you in. You must allow the Lord to be the power in your life. You must depend on Him. You see, Joshua is a picture of who? He's a picture of Jesus. Kind of interesting. They even had the same name, (laughs) you know, in one sense. The same thing that Joshua, Jehovah is salvation. Jesus, Jehovah is salvation. And what we see is that Jesus is the one, you guys, who allows us to go into the promised land. You know, we see that in Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8. I encourage you when you go home, read it and heed it because Paul the Apostle says, man, I don't get it, you know. Remember, you guys remember when he said that? He said, I don't get it. You know, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself practicing it, you know. (laughs) He's all wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Now, that word wretched, what do you think that means? And a lot of people will read that right there and they say, oh, wretched man. I know what that means. That means he was a wicked guy. He was an evil guy, right? Wrong. That's not what wretched means. You want to know what wretched means? It means tired. I'm tired. I am tired of trying to do this on my own strength. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul asks. I thank God through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus died for you. He rose for you. And then we see he lives for you and he sends for you. He sends who? He sends the Holy Spirit. And Joshua, Jesus, if you let Jesus, if you stop trying to do it on your own strength, let Jesus take you in, then he'll take you in. 
And that's the beautiful thing about it, you know. You know, God tells Moses these things, and he says, hey, I want you to inaugurate Joshua, and I want this to take place. I want everybody to see. But then it's kind of heartbreaking. In verse 16, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land. Where they go to be among them, they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. And then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them. They will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of the evil which they have done, and that they have turned to other gods. God tells Moses, You will rest, and they will rise. And they will rise, and they will forsake me, and break my covenant. But I will discipline them. Now, the interesting thing is this. When you look at the whole context of it, what it ends up saying is this, that they will break their end of the, of, of the covenant, but, but I won't break mine. God will, we're going to see, punish them. And he's going to send them all over the world, and he's going to discipline Israel, man. Pretty bad, you know, (laughs) pretty bad. But does he ever, ever, I mean, is his covenant with Israel, is it over? It's not, huh? Because we know in the last days, and he's going to talk about that, in the last days, he's going to bring them back to him. And that's the beautiful, amazing God that we have. I don't know about you, man, but if Israel did what they did, and if you read the history of Israel and you see how crazy they were, you know, I would say, forget you, man. I'm going to choose Mexico, man. That's what I'm going to do, you know. <laughs> I mean, I would choose someone else, you know. <laughs> but God just said, no, I'm going to bring them back to me. And in the last days, I'm going to use them again. And I'm going to glorify myself in them. And, of course, it doesn't, you know, give us, you know, oh, we can go ahead and do what Israel did. That's not the intention of that. What it is is to give us just an idea of how awesome God is. And when I see God like this, I don't know about you, but I just love him more. I just want to serve him more because he's still there. He's so good to us. But Israel... You know, they went through some hard times. Verse 19, Now therefore, write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. You know, it's kind of weird. When you read chapter 32, Lord willing, we'll get there next week. It's a weird song, you know. I mean, it's definitely not a rhyming song by any means. And it's just all about the warnings. And it's about God. And it's about things... But part of the reason is, basically, it's like this, you guys. This would be their national anthem. You know, every time we go to a sporting event or, you know, we go to certain special places, they sing the national anthem. And there's certain lyrics that are repeated. A lot of you might even know them by heart. This would be their national anthem. God wanted them to know these things because a lot of times you can remember in a song, right, and and sometimes not in words, and God says, but I want this to be a song for them. And we'll, we'll read this Lord William next time because it will be a witness. 
It'll be a witness that says what? I warned you. I warned you. I wanted to do something great in your life. I want to do something great through your life. But you chose not to. And God says, I, I, I warned you. And it will be a witness, right? Now for us, of course, I, my prayer is that, you guys, things would click. That the Holy Spirit would show you the importance of being obedient to God. And what a wonderful Savior we have. Right? That's what God wants to do. But he warns them there in verse 20, When I have brought them to the land, flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat. Then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. Then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify against them as a witness, for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants. For I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I brought them to the land of which I swore to give them. Therefore, Moses wrote this song, notice the same day, and taught it to the children of Israel. And then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Again, be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. And so it was when Moses had completed writing the words of this law in a book when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there again, notice, as a witness against you. Isn't that kind of sad? It must be kind of like, you know, here, take the Bible, you know, and you would say and read it and, and heed it. I, you know, I always say that, you know, and, and, you know, it'll be there for you. It'll bless you. But God says, no, it's going to be there as a witness against you because he knew that they wouldn't obey, right? The inclination of their heart. Now, in the Ark of the Covenant, there would be the Ten Commandments, but beside the Ark of the Covenant, there would be this, uh, this letter of the law. That's why uh, one day they lost the, the Bible. They were able to find it where? They had lost it in the church, right? They had lost it in the, in the tabernacle. And so he says right there in verse 27, For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck, if today while I'm yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt, turn aside from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days. Now some think this is the last of the last days, some believe that this, uh, verse 29, is eschatological, meaning this is still future, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. And then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. And Lord willing, next week we'll have uh, one of you guys sing this song, <laughs> chapter 32. But so many lessons for us to learn. To me, in the end, I'm blown away with the fact that God still has his hand on Israel. He disciplined them, and he disciplines them. But in the end, he brings them back. He doesn't, Romans chapter 11, verse 1, he doesn't utterly forsake them. And so may God teach us these things. 
no matter where you're at, you know, I know um, you guys, um, we find ourselves sometimes, you know, struggling in life or whatever. You know, one of the, the things that even myself, I find myself in is, uh, is things can get vague and things can kind of get foggy. And I always have to kind of just, man, almost like move myself, discipline myself to come back to the clarity of what it is being a Christian. You know, this morning I was driving, you know, into the ministry and I was just thanking God. I said, Lord, thank you for the clouds. Thank you for the color blue. Um, thank you for the color green and these trees right here. And then I was just, I just began to speak to him and tell him things that were on my heart and just drawing near to him. And, uh, and I just really encourage you guys, man, to really draw near to God. He's an awesome God. He wants to do a wonderful work. Um, you guys are out there in the front lines, and he wants you to shine for him. And so may God give us strength today to be empowered, man. I, I wanted to use the, pow- the word powerful. I don't know if that's the right word, but it kind of is the word that I want to use. May God uh, just make us powerful. May he empower us today to turn from our sins, turn from our sins, and just to truly, totally trust him, you guys. Because where he has you, in your families, you're a witness to them, and in your workplaces, friends, wherever he has you, you know, they got to see Jesus. That's, that's the thing. they got to see Jesus. And so may that take place as the Holy Spirit just works in us. We're going to have communion uh, right now. And so I just want to encourage you guys, man, to just draw near to God. Bring your hearts before him. If there's anything that you need to, to just, you know, repent of, get rid of, surrender, uh, speak it, man. Lord, I give you whatever it is. Worship the Lord. And let's draw our strength from him. Lord, we just come before you, Lord, and uh, we want to go into the promised land, Lord. We want to enjoy the promised land. We don't want to be deported from the promised land. And so, Lord, I pray you help us to take these words to heart, Lord. Uh, I pray you would choose us like you chose Joshua, Lord God, because we want to bring you glory and honor. We want to be usable in your hands. And so, Lord, do a great work, I pray. Wash us, cleanse us, and by your Holy Spirit, move in every heart here today. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're going to pass out the bread and the cup.